Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Hey everyone, this is Jim. Welcome back. I have so much that I want to share with you today. I'm not exactly sure where I'm going to start and where I'm going to stop, but I want to throw a few thoughts out there. Over the past several years, let's say from 2020 through to 2023, we have seen so much change as far as evil and unrighteousness goes in the world around us. And the argument could be made that it was always here. But things have definitely changed in the U.S. and the United States of America over the past several years. And we've seen more corruption rise to the top than perhaps any other time in our lifetimes. And we've seen things that used to be universally recognized as evil now being called good and things that were universally recognized as good now being called evil. And I'm sure you're aware of what I'm saying. I don't have to go into great detail about it, but... As this happens, as the darkness increases, I'm also aware that the light is also increasing. And what I mean by that, not that we see or hear, at least in the media, about all these great things that are happening as far as God moving on the earth and God moving in the lives of individuals. It is out there. It's not being advertised, of course. You know, some people ask the question, you know, if God is so powerful, why do we have all of this corruption and evil happening in the world today? And, you know, we can find the answer to that in the Bible. Now, you may want the specific answer to a specific case, but if you want to look at it from a general sense and start there, it says that in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that the God of this world is a fallen angel. It is not the God of heaven. It is not the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, and not our heavenly father, right? We call God our heavenly father. Matter of fact, Jesus was the first one to relay God to man as being a father, not just being a father, but their father. So we have this diametrically opposed situation. We have light and darkness, righteousness and unrighteousness, evil and good. And when people ask, well, why is the world such a mess? Because the God of heaven is not the God of this world. Now, we can find scriptures that contradict that and say that the heavens and the earth belong to the Lord. But if you really want to get more technical about it, we can go right back to the book of Genesis in which it says that God made the heavens and the earth and he gave his creation to Adam to quote-unquote manage. In other words, Adam was the original quote-unquote God of this world, little God under big God. So when Adam fell, and you can look at it, as some people do, as a lease, God is the owner, but he leased the world. Now, you don't have a lease without having a contract. So whether it's an oral agreement or oral and written agreement or combination of the two, we can look at how contracts work that way and look at the agreement that God has. Now, God's agreement, of course, would be more solid than any human contract that any lawyer would be able to create. That makes sense, right? Because God cannot lie. Doesn't Bible doesn't say God doesn't lie. He says God cannot lie, meaning he can't tell an untruth even if he wanted to, which of course he doesn't because he's righteous. He's not unrighteous. Whereas the Bible describes Satan as the father of lies. So again, we have the exact opposites, like darkness, uh, righteousness, unrighteousness, good and evil. So what we see happening in the world today, people are saying, well, why doesn't God intervene? Well, obviously God does intervene. Even if you're on the outside looking in at the topic of Christianity, you do see, you do hear examples of people being miraculously healed, miraculously delivered, 
And so people might ask the question, well, why would this happen for one person and not for everyone? Because doesn't the Bible also say that God is no respecter of persons? Does it make any difference if you're young or old, rich or poor, male or female? The Bible said God is a God of love, and that is his nature. So if he's obviously helping some people, what about the people that need help but don't seem to be getting it? Well, in the words of John Wesley, the famous Methodist preacher, he put it this way. He said, it seems God is limited by our prayer life, that he could do nothing for humanity unless someone asks him. And so this is where we see, this is where things begin to make sense. If God is almighty and all powerful and the devil is not, but God isn't in control of everything that's happening here, we see it reflected in different places of the Bible, even if we're not acknowledging that that's what it is that we're seeing. For example, the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray as John taught his disciples how to pray. What did he teach them? Our Father, not just my Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, or holy is thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, here on earth even as it is in heaven. Well, why would Jesus, giving this model prayer, why would he say, pray that God's will be done here on earth as it is in heaven? Because God's will is not automatically done here on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is always done in heaven. That's why when Satan rebelled, he was kicked out and his angels with him who rebelled against him. And so we see this picture and we begin to get little bits and pieces throughout the Bible that begin to explain why things are the way they are and what we can do about them. So not only was man in a position where he was spiritually bankrupt and the Old Testament, which was the precursor to the New Testament, was designed to show man what righteousness was, what unrighteousness was in the form of laws and also showing that we were incapable of keeping this law, and so we needed a better way. We needed a new covenant established upon better promises, one in which God himself, through Jesus Christ, came and actually paid our spiritual debt for us and brought us out of the darkness into the light. And so everything in the Bible is line upon line, precept upon precept, layer upon layer. Why isn't it written so that it was just plainly put out there. This is why this happens. This is why that happens. Or maybe you read certain sections in the Bible and you wish, why didn't Jesus expound more on certain things? For example, I've always been drawn to scriptures like Mark eleven twenty four, where Jesus said, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe you receive them and you will have them. So the criteria there is if you believe, then you receive. And as you know, if you've listened to this podcast before, there's examples of what unbelief is. Unbelief, the it is basically heading in the opposite direction than faith. And so sometimes what you have is you have belief in on one hand, you have unbelief on the other. And if you look at it like a tug of war, it's like you have op opposing forces going back and forth, as we saw in the example with the man whose son was taken to the disciples and they were unable to deliver that son. He was having epileptic seizures and fits. And finally, when Jesus came down and became involved in the situation, he delivered the boy. Afterwards, the disciples came to him in private and said, how come it didn't work for us? And Jesus said, because of your unbelief. Now we can couple that event with another similar event when Jesus was walking on the water the disciples were on the Sea of Galilee when the storm arose, and 
Jesus was walking to them, and first they thought it's a spirit; it's not even a man. And Jesus said, "No, it's 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 me. It, it is I." And Peter said, "If it's you, bid me to come walking to you on the water." Now think about that. That is incredible. He stepped out of the boat. He began walking on the water towards Jesus. So, what do you think? What do you think inspired him to do that? Well, I don't know. If you put yourself in that position, being human. Maybe it's just the excitement of knowing that Jesus was such a giving, loving person that if he asked him for something like that, then he would allow him to do it. So I'm just guessing, of course, or maybe he really didn't even think. Maybe he just thought, I want to do that. But either way, obviously, he believed that it was Jesus because when Jesus said, come, he stepped out and did it. And the other disciples just kind of looked on. But then it says that seeing the waves and feeling the wind He began to get fearful and he started to sink. So here we see walking by faith. When Jesus said, come, when he responded to Jesus, he took part in experiencing a miracle. But once fear came, what happened? It reversed that miracle working power that was holding him up and he started to sink. So fear, the opposite of faith, begins to undo what God was doing. Whereas also the reverse would be true. If there was fear in a situation, but the fear would be replaced by faith, then faith would undo the damage, per se, that fear had created. Faith opens the door to God. Fear opens the door to the enemy. So faith closes the door to the enemy. I'm just giving these little samples. I'm throwing them out there. And at the end of the day, the Bible could have been written so that a 10-year-old could have understood what was written. But it was written in such a way that God said, Seek and you will find. Ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door shall be open. Seek and you shall find. Everyone that asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks the door shall be open. Ask, seek, and knock. Yeah. There's no mites in there. There's no cracks in the door for unbelief to enter in. The statements are absolute. And that goes right along with what it says in the book of James. It says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything of the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Not just unstable in spiritual things, but just unstable in all of his ways. Because going back and forth, being non-committal, not be able, not being able to settle on any one thing affects every area of your life. So let me just rewind the tape a little bit to what I was thinking about when I started today's episode. I was thinking a lot about all of the things that have been happening over the past several years, how we've seen our society kind of disintegrate into what we have today. Obviously, there is pushback. Not everybody is going along with it. Thank God for that. But when I look back at the book of Acts and I see some of the things that Paul went through, I mean, Paul suffered a physical stoning in which he was left for dead. They dragged his body outside of the city in Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 22. And then afterward, God rose him up and he went back and started preaching again. And he and the disciples encouraged the believers of that time. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, saying, quote, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. And one of the scriptures that was brought back to my remembrance, the foundation scripture for this podcast, is Luke 18.1, in which Jesus said that men should always pray 
and not faint and not give up. I'm going to read it to you. This is the New King James Version. Luke 18, 1, it says, He spoke a parable to them that men should always pray and not lose heart, saying there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in the city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not. This is talking about the unjust judge. But afterward, he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard men, yet because this woman troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. So persistence is the thing that the unjust judge, the one that didn't have any reverence for God, nor did he have any regard for man, just himself. We could say that's definitely not a picture of God. <laughs> it says there, Jesus in Luke 18, 6 says, then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. So if an unjust judge will take action and help someone, not because he cares about her or not because he reverences God, just because he knows that she won't go away. Remember Luke 18, 1, the very beginning of this parable, it says, he spoke a parable to them that men ought to pray always and not lose heart or always pray and not lose heart. And so I made a commitment that I was going to follow this with everything I prayed for, for the rest of my life. And I made it several years ago because like most people, some things that, well, maybe I'm not like most people, but I prayed for things. I've seen great things come to pass in my life. I've seen the healing power of God. I've prayed for sick people. I've been in ministry and I've seen it happen in a, in a ministerial type of setting. And I've seen it happen on street corners and I've just seen it happen in all different types of settings. You don't have to have the music just right and a whole crowd of people to see the power of God. All you have to be willing to do is step out and pray for someone or step out and pray for yourself. And so anyway, you know, I've seen this happen, but I've also prayed for things and have not seen them come to pass. And I've gone like anyone else several months down the line after having asked God for help with something help doesn't appear to be coming. And then you start to question, am I really believing? Or does, is God doing something here that I'm not aware of? And yet I go back to this scripture because when I read the New Testament, I find that Jesus helped everyone. Everyone that came, for example, to Jesus for healing was healed. Everybody that came to Jesus for help, maybe they needed deliverance, they were all delivered. Jesus never failed. But yet we see that the disciples failed, certainly. We see that in the Gospels, and we also see it happen from time to time in the rest of the letters. What's funny is, from the pulpit, unfortunately, we take these isolated cases of someone who didn't get healed, and that is magnified as the reason why. And yet, in the Bible, somebody not getting a miracle, it was an anomaly. Everybody got healed when Jesus was around, right? The dead were raised. All of these incredible things happened. Evil never won when confronted with Jesus. If we look at it as a boxing match, Jesus went undefeated. And if you look at some of the disciples, you know, they had wins, but they did have some losses in there. So we can say that, well, maybe the human element of unbelief does cause us as individuals to lose a confrontation, you might say, from time to time. But we could also say if we're only using the Bible and not psychology, if we use just the Bible alone and not psychology, and, and the reason why I bring this up is because nothing can replace the power of God, not psychology, not medicine, 
Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with psychology. It can help. It can make people self-aware of things that they weren't aware of. Maybe it can make you aware that you were afraid of something or that you have unforgiveness in your life and you can deal with those things. So maybe there is an aspect to the psychology of an individual when it's wrong, it can be corrected and it can help a little bit. We know that medicine can help people. I mean, you know, a a simple shot can help someone uh, make sure that a wound doesn't get infected or something like that. We consider these things basic, but yet... Medicine today is far from being a replacement for the healing power of God. Doctors today are a far cry from being able to do what Jesus could do or what the power of God could do. Matter of fact, Christian psychologists and all of that far cry away from what can be done by the power of God. The power of God can do in a moment what it would take several years of psychology to maybe possibly get the same type of outcome. And so I think that what happens is people get used to there not being power in their lives. And as one person put it this way, whenever the the power of God is being displayed, you know that the Holy Spirit is there. And Jesus said it's to our advantage that he went away. Now, most people would say that, you know, if Jesus were here in my house, he could straighten everybody out. He could straighten out my husband. He could straighten out my wife. He could straighten out my kids. He could deliver them from this problem or that problem or this addiction or that addiction. He could help us with our finances. Probably couldn't find any true believing Christian that would say, well, you know, yeah, if Jesus actually came to live with us, well, first you'd have to like throw some things out and maybe like delete your history on your computer. (laughs) But, you know, why even bother at that point? He already knows anyway. So people look at Jesus and they think, well, if Jesus was still here and I could see him and hear him. But, you know, we look at what happened with the disciples that traveled with him for at least three and a half years. And we can see that, you know, even Jesus was standing in front of Peter while Peter was on the water and he still had fear come in, looking straight at physically at Jesus, the man standing on the water while a miracle was occurring. He, he still allowed fear to get in. And so if fear could get into him. Obviously it could get into you and I, right? So, I mean, if we're really truthfully honest about it, but Peter's way back to safety would be no different than our way back to safety. I mean, Jesus literally reached out his hand and caught him when he cried out to the Lord. But I'm saying that if you and I cried out to the Lord and we're sinking in a situation, are you telling me that God would hear that? Now, I know sometimes that if you're aware of faith, if you studied the topic before, then what can happen sometimes is you can make faith sort of a individual type of ability. The Bible says that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. We're not the author and finisher of our own faith, but yet it's easy to turn faith into a a psychological type of activity where somebody who's looking from the outside in might say, well, that's just self-hypnosis. You're trying to convince yourself to believe and not doubt. And there are ways that people can talk themselves into believing and not doubting, you know, by, by repetition. But The difference between that kind of faith, the natural, human-generated, soulish kind of faith, and the faith of God, those differences are like night and day, right? So if Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith, and he's in us and we're in him, doesn't that say exactly that in the Gospel of John? The Gospel of John, one of my favorites because it's such a personal gospel where Jesus does a whole lot of speaking and details Jesus said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Without me, you can do nothing. But we're not without him. So 
Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, that you're saved by grace through faith and not, not of yourselves is the gift of God. So the grace is a gift of God. The faith is a gift of God. And so all of these things are possible because of, and we could say because of God the Father, because of Jesus, because of the Holy Spirit. Actually, we talk about the Lord where we can just say and understand that all three are involved. All three are one, right? Just like you and I, we're a spirit. We have a soul. We live in a body, but yet we're, we're together. We're one. But Jesus said it was to in my advantage, your advantage, everyone's advantage that he goes away because when he goes away, he'll send the Holy Spirit to us. So the Holy Spirit came to pick up where Jesus left off. So it's no different than if any man love me, he'll keep my words. And yeah, it's so easy to make all this a work-oriented gospel. It's so easy to make faith a works-oriented thing where you have to practice it like somebody might practice shooting at a target, right? The more you practice, the better shot you'll become. It can be easy to look at faith that way, but faith doesn't work that way. Now, yeah, faith can be exercised just like a muscle, but there's something about our connection to Jesus, the person. There's something about our connection to the Holy Spirit. There's something about our connection to God, the Father. That's why he said, have faith in God, one person put it this way, I'll never forget it. He said, faith in God produces the faith of God. And so, yes, there are scriptures that promise us physical healing. There's scriptures that promise us prosperity, all of these things. But yet, the Bible does say that we will have persecution in this world. And yet, I go back and I see in Jesus the ultimate example of what any human being should aspire to. Because this man was fearless, absolutely fearless, and he is undefeated, and he laid down his life of his own accord. Some, pe some people say, well, yeah, I kind of lost at the cross. Absolutely not. The cross is a victory. Jesus put it this way, no greater love than a man has for his friends than he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus told his disciples, call you friends now, not servants, because a servant doesn't know what the master is doing, but you know. So simply by calling out on the name of the Lord, you can access the grace of God, the unearned favor of God. You can access the faith of God. You read the book of Ephesians, and some people are still striving to get or acquire some of the things that the whole book of Ephesians says we already have. You know, I hear People say things like, oh, I'm just praying, storming the gates of heaven. And well, the book of Ephesians says that you are in Christ seated with him in heavenly places. So why would you have to storm the gates of heaven when you've already gotten passed through the gates, down the street, into the temple, seated with Jesus at the right hand? <laughs> you get what I'm saying? And I'm bringing this up because in the time that we're living in today, the kind of mindset that we adapt or that we embrace or that we commit to, maybe that would be the right way to say it, is going to have a ripple effect on everything else that happens throughout the rest of our lives. So it makes sense to focus on Jesus because he is the author and finisher of our faith. And, and let me add this also. There's no way I can read through the Old or the New Testaments and come away with the thought that God is a small God. Just digest that for a minute. From the creation of the heavens and the earth to the miracles of deliverance and healing and more, God is seen as a God who performs the impossible time and time again. So why should I lower my expectations based on what other people are experiencing? 
on what other people, how other people look at God. God does big things. And so that leads to the question. Sometimes you have to look at your own life and ask yourself the question, is God living big in my life? Is God doing big things through my life? And what I mean by that, start with the very basics. Is the power of God transforming my life in a big way? Or is the power of God transforming my life as I've gone from situation to situation, from faith to faith, from, if you're older, from your 20s to your 30s, from your 30s to your 40s, your 40s to your 50s, and so on. Maybe that's something you really haven't given a lot of thought about. It does say in Second Chronicles that in verse number 9, the 16th chapter, that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal towards him. And so if you want God to show himself strong on your behalf, then it's a matter of deciding, is it worth taking the time and the effort to look deep down on the inside and ask yourself some of the serious questions like, where is your heart at right now? Where is your heart at today? It says in the King James Version, that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to show himself strong in behalf of those whose heart is perfect towards him. But then the verse right after that, it says, in this you have done foolishly. Therefore, now you shall have wars. So we could say it like this, because your heart isn't loyal to God in this thing you've done foolishly, and now you're going to have war. Now, it may not be literal war. You may not be in literal warfare, but it's a spiritual warfare always. And it plays itself out in your work, in your relationships, in every area of life. I remember thinking when I was 20 years old, I started my own walk of faith. I knew the basics, but I was confronted with some of my first big decisions as an adult as far as how I would perceive, I guess you would say, the bigness of God as it was going to pertain to my life as I moved forward. And I was brought up in a denominational church, Catholic church, and in my thinking at the time, before I became a believing believer, let's put it that way, that you know, it was like the prayer was like the lottery. And then as I began to read the Bible, I began to see, no, this is what God has required. God has asked for faith. God has asked for you to open your heart towards him. So this is something that I have to commit to doing. Because even at the time, even at 20 years old, I began to understand that if Jesus is a personal savior, and that's what you truly believe in your heart, then maybe that's a question you haven't asked yourself in a long time, or maybe it's just a doctrinal fact that you have in your head. But if you're willing to open your heart and ask yourself that question again, maybe you haven't asked it in years, do you really believe that Jesus is a personal savior? If you really believe that, that opens up an entire world of possibilities that you may not be taking advantage of it's an entire different, entirely different situation than if there was, let's say, a degree of separation. Do you know what I mean by that? So, for example, you can tell a Christian person that uh, Jesus died for mankind, and that's easier for them to digest, the average Christian person, let's say. And most people can accept that. But if they were the only person alive, would Jesus still have died for them specifically? That's what I mean by saying Jesus is a personal savior. He wants to be a personal savior. He, want, he stands at the door and knocks. Right? So he's not just standing at my door. He's standing at your door. He's not just standing at, and you can look at all of these 
great preachers and people from the past and you know, you read the Bible, oh, I stand at the door and knock, if any man. And when you hear those words, sometimes you think about everybody else but you. But the truth is, he's standing at the door and knocking at the door of your heart. And if you open that door and let him in, what did he say would happen? He said, my father and I would come in and we would sup with that person. You know, when Jesus comes in, brings the Holy Spirit with him. And now, yes, if you believe that, yeah, Jesus is a personal savior, he knows me personally. He knows the fingerprints on my hands like that he could just draw them on the wall. I mean, he knows me that intimately. He knows every specific last detail. All of the hairs on my head, according to the Bible, have been numbered. That's how much God loves me. He doesn't want one single hair to be lost. And would he have laid his life down for me specifically? Yeah, so you have to renew that sometimes. There's something about the truth that as long as we're in these human bodies, it becomes dull over time. If we don't remember the truth, if we don't encourage each other to and put each other in remembrance of reality, we lose sight of reality and we kind of fall asleep under this illusion that we see in the world all around us. But you can go back to scriptures like Matthew 18 and where Jesus came, he said, to save what is lost. And if a man has a hundred sheep, if one of them goes astray, will he not leave the other 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying. And that's true of you and that's true of me. You may not be straying, but you may not be where you can be. You may not be like on the way on the outskirts of out of the will of God and you know, you're know you addicted to a million and one things. I mean, you, your life may not be in that area, but you may just be comfortable or you may just be surviving. And is the gospel a message of survival? <laughs> well, maybe if you apply it to the day of judgment, but I'm saying this is that God has so much. And I think that a lot of people are barely scraping into the edges of it. And I've seen it firsthand. And I can tell you that I myself can say that there is more that God can do in my life. I know it and I want it. Do you know why? Because I think about it like this. We're here one time. That's it. And the time goes so quickly. Do you want to stand with confidence in the day of judgment, knowing that you sought God from your heart, knowing that you overcame all of the things that slowed you down, that caused you distractions. Hey, we are all, you and I are the same. We, are, we get distracted. We focus on things that aren't important. We turn molehills into mountains. We do all of those things, but that doesn't mean that those things have to stay that way. We can recover. We can improve. We can bear fruit. All of those things that can happen now that the Holy Spirit's in us. But I think that satisfaction is the killer of spiritual growth. Think if you're satisfied, matter of fact, there is a warning about satisfaction. You know the story of the rich man? His barns were filled with plenty. He had spent a lifetime working. He was going to take his ease and, and that was it. End of the story. Now, I'm not saying that that's going to happen to you or that you should identify with that. I'm saying that the principle is there. We're here for a reason. We're here to let our lights shine. And so many times, and I know because it happened to me, I'm thinking that, well, how bright is my light actually shining? And what impact am I really having in the world around me, with the people around me? And I really believe that that is when you get right down to it, I hate to say it, it is a defeatist attitude. And I think that a lot of us need to overcome that because, yes, we see the media filled with all of these lies and all of this garbage day in and day out. We hear about it. We've seen how it's 
infiltrated the entertainment world. And even if you have your TV turned off or you don't watch these shows anymore, it still has a way of finding its way in front of you in some way, shape, or form. And so I look at it like this. If, if, if people are proud to stand up for darkness, if people are proud to stand up for that which is evil and unrighteous, then why should I be ashamed about what I believe in? And I'm not saying that you should go out there and you should sh- shout that Jesus is Lord from the mountaintops, because, of course, we live in a society where his name is well known. But what I'm saying is that everything starts from the heart in the spirit, in the spiritual world. That is really the seed of power. And if your heart is right, you can absolutely positively make a true lasting difference in the lives of people around you. It's a matter of you bringing the transformative power of God by letting God just shine through you. Now, we can make it a a step-by-step type of teaching. We could talk about it like that, but I think it really you really need to get back to the beginning and where your journey began. Didn't it begin with you looking at your heart, with you looking at the truth? and reaching out for it. Isn't it true that the Bible said that we weren't seeking for God, he was seeking for us. He came looking for us. He gave us the faith to believe. He gave us the grace to transform our lives. And if we began that way, we're not going to be perfected by our own efforts. We're going to have to remember where it is that we came from and go back to our roots where it all began. And it all began with the heart. And so, yes, I believe that God wants to do great things in our lives. But yes, there is an enemy here and he's not being commissioned by God. He's not being subcontracted by God. We are in his territory. But thank God we have the power of God on the inside of us and we overcome through that power. You know, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, thanks be to God, which always gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ and therefore be steadfast, be unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I read those verses. It's great to have the reminder. Also, John chapter 1, verse number 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Finally, 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, for whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. I read these scriptures. I renew them. I've been reading them for 40 years, whatever it's been. And, you know, I think about this. There was a time in my life where I thought, if I could only explain things better, if I only had better recall when I'm talking to someone. And then when I had all of those things, I discovered that, it seemed that the words that I was speaking were falling on deaf ears. And that's why Jesus said, let him who has ears, let him hear, because not everyone has ears to hear. And maybe you put the pressure on yourself that you have to explain everything just right, or you didn't explain it good enough. If you look at the ministry of Jesus, he didn't go into great detail in these long explanations. Matter of fact, towards the end of his ministry, it says many of his disciples departed from him and followed him no more when he said things that were difficult for them to understand. For example, he said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And from that time, many of his disciples followed him no more. And I think the reason why he said things like that was because only the power of God can transform a person. And it is from the heart 
that a man receives these things, that you really understand this on a heart level. It's not a new type of psychology, which unfortunately, it seems like a greater portion of the Christian world today has become just that. We have all of these books, but the books will never replace the power. We have all of these step-by-step guides, but those things do not seem to bring the power. Where does the power come from? It comes from a simple childlike, heartfelt faith in which your focus is on God and not on your ability, not on your own righteousness, not on your own knowledge. We're not putting your confidence in what you know or your lack of confidence because of what you don't know. Your focus is on God and all those other things fall into the background. That is how real faith comes. You know, once I was praying for two people to be filled with the Holy Spirit and I was at a point in my life where some of the people were saying, well, this speaking in tongue, tongue stuff, it, it passed away. It's not for today. And, and some people had more faith in the devil creating a counterfeit than they had in God actually being able to produce it. And so I was praying for two people. They were brand new Christians. One person was a Christian already to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I didn't even tell them about speaking in tongues. I thought, I'm just going to let God be God, and I'm going to ask God to fill them with the Holy Spirit. And my intent is that they experience what was experienced on the day of Acts, because God doesn't change, Jesus doesn't change, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I laid hands on with somebody else on this one person, asked God to fill them with the Holy Spirit, believed that they received it by faith. They thanked me. We went our way. And then 24 hours later, the person contacted me, not knowing what in the world had just happened to him. And he told me that he went into his room to pray and suddenly he wasn't speaking English anymore. And he couldn't speak English unless he really focused on it. And he said it was like this other language was flowing out of his mouth. And I laughed and I said, that's being filled with the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues. And he said, what is that? I said, if you want to know the different place tongues has in the New Testament, read through very carefully. It's the only gift that an entire chapter is dedicated to it. First Corinthians chapter 14. I said, read that completely and you'll begin to understand. Tongues can be used for all kinds of prayer. Now, and at the end, Paul said, I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than you all. So I said, obviously, if he was thankful for it, it is a gift of God. It's not just a matter of you figuring out mentally how to mimic speaking in tongues and that's your tongues. Now, I, second time this happened, same thing, didn't tell the other person about it. They wound up speaking in tongues. The people that were around them thought they had gone crazy, but the Holy Spirit came on them. And, and I thought, well, that's kind of just like what happened in the book of Acts with Peter. They thought they were drunk. Well, this person's family thought that they didn't know what to think, but they were going on and on speaking in another language. So, the Bible talks about two languages, or actually more than two languages. They talk about the tongues of men and the tongues of angels. That's what Paul said. I speak with the tongues of men. I speak with the tongues of angels. I just, I'm throwing that out there. What does that have to do with all of this? It has to do with not turning Christianity into a powerless, psychological kind of step-by-step thing that you follow and recognize that the Holy Spirit is alive. Jesus is alive. And there's power available to help you overcome anything in your life that needs to be overcome. There are gifts that God has given you 
that can push back the dark places, not just in your life, but in the lives of the people that need what you have. And so that's why I'm telling you, don't be comfortable. Don't think, well, this is good enough. Don't have a survival type of mentality. If there was ever a time that people need us. Now, is it true that people are going to mock us? People are going to say we're crazy? Absolutely. But it's always been that way. You know, the Bible puts it this way. If you were of the world, the world would love you as one of its own. But you're not of the world. All right. I think, again, we'll just put the bookmarker in it there. That's about all for today. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you. Have a great rest of your week. And I'll talk to you soon.